0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We've been um, moving on this theme of listen where Dave and I were chatting about this this week. We're probably going to stay in this through to Christmas. which isn't that many week, many weeks away, but um, we we based this basically on the whole idea of being able to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you at this time, and we based it around these verses, or this verse, and um, they that have hears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, all right, a seven times in the book of Revelation. We saw that four other times. Um, it's mentioned in the New Testament without the little... Um, tagline saying to the churches at the end, but seven times like this in the book of Revelation. And I suppose what we wanted to do was we, we wanted to help you understand that when you listen and hear God's voice, that it, 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 it ruins you in some shape or form for anything else. Um, Because it's his kindness, actually. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, all right? It's not guilt and shame that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and brings us into a deep revelation of of the love that we were born to know. And so that's really important. I love this little line by E. Stanley um, Jones where he says, "'I looked into his face and was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him.'" So there's something about getting a touch of God that actually makes you realize that um, there's not much else can actually equal that. As we often say, there's no high like the most high, all right? And one of my favorite things to watch in TV is the Antique Roadshow. Maybe it's because I'm getting a bit of an antique myself, I don't know, but it's been on BBC, it's been aired on BBC now for 41 years, and... Um, uh, with a team of experts of all kinds of collectible items, and I enjoy watching that. i love there's a couple of things that I love. I love when 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 how people come with a something that they think is maybe of some little value, and after a bit of discovery and a bit of investigation, they realize that it's worth a fortune. I love that. I love to see how people are responding to that, but there's this sort of a a morbid side to me that I'm going to confess this morning. All right, there's a. To say a confession is good for the soul, but um, one of my little guilty pleasures in watching the show is I. I love it when some people come with something that they think is worth a fortune, and uh, they realise that it's not worth anything at all. I know, I know, I know. I'm a bad person, but um, it's a fake. It's a fake, and. Um, A word that keeps cropping up on the show over all the years that I've watched it, enjoyed it, is a little word called veneer. Veneer, a veneer. You'll all know what a veneer is. It's a, a, you see, they'll say, oh no, 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 it's not oak. You see, it's just a veneer. It's not gold, it's not silver, it's just a veneer. And um, I looked up the dictionary definition of veneer, and it's a layer of something of superior value to be glued to something of an inferior value. That sort of just about sums up a veneer, doesn't it? Or a counterfeit that has been covered. And I think what's happening today, we're seeing in the church across the world that veneers are being exposed. That little thin layer of something that looked like something is being exposed by the elements, the spiritual elements of what's going on in the world today. All around the world, churches are being exposed. If they don't... Reflect the true value or image as such. It's just a veneer. And when it's stripped away, you begin to see the quality and reality. We find this in church a lot. We find it, you find it in relationships. You know this. People you work with, they come in and you think, oh, they're really lovely. And, and you become friends. And then all of a sudden, the veneer gets pulled off. We find that, don't we? The veneer gets pulled off. And we begin to say, oh, I didn't really think they were like that. I never thought they would have said that. Can't believe the way they're treating me after they treated me so nice for those few months. We see this all the time in relationships. Most of you know that I have nine grandchildren and uh, five kids, nine grandkids. And when they were when my grandkids were a little younger, some of them are here right now. Every time I would visit, the girls especially would 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 make me sit in the chair, and they would serve me. They they would serve Papa with tea and my favorite food from their play kitchen. They, would, uh, they delivered my order. Even though the cup was empty, they'd bring me my cup of tea. Even though the cup was empty, they'd bring me my, my plate with a plastic burger, or sometimes no burger at all. And they would set it before me. And here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is they had the ability to see tea in that cup. They had the ability to see my burger and chips on that plate, and of course I played along. I sipped the tea, and I munched my scrumpiest ever burger, watching Maddie and Poppy and Abby's little eyes dance with delight at my approval of the meal that they had just provided. Uh, all children have the powerful capacity to imagine, haven't they? they? It's what makes their early years so interesting and so um, surprising and so captivating, and yet so innocent and and wonderful. And sadly, as we get older and the concerns of life start to creep in, and like relationships, employment, and finances and diet, etc., 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 they fill our minds, they control our hearts, and our ability to imagine diminishes. Um, When it comes to the Christian faith, a system uh, that probably is based on the fact centered on surrendering surrendering your life to a God that you cannot see or touch, imagination becomes a very important thing. And I think the church has lost its imagination. It's lost its imagination to think of how great and holy and powerful God is. Let me give you a definition of imagination, a brief definition as it it pertains to faith. Imagination doesn't mean we try to see something that's not real. This is important. It's the capacity to see what is real, even though we can't see it with our naked eye. I love imagination. I love it. And so I, I, I want us to enable... I want to enable you today in some kind, type or form to begin to imagine again. Because I think that God has given us a sort of a dual sight system. I think He's given us a sort of a dual hearing system where we, uh, where, where, where we not only see and hear physical things, but we actually begin to see and hear this other set of eyes and ears that we have, that we begin to see and hear the things of the Spirit because they're the eyes and the ears of the heart. God has given us this ability so we can see and hear the unseen world of spiritual reality. Now, just in case you're wondering, Phil, is this in the Bible? I, I hope you know me well enough to know that I'm not off on a tangent. The Bible's full of this stuff, all right? This is the story of Elisha when the king of Syria were, were wondering why in the wide world was. Um, Did the Israelites know every move they were making? And somebody said, it's the prophet. There's a prophet in Israel, and God, his God, tells him what you do in your bedroom. (laughs) You read it yourself in 2 Kings 6. That's exactly what it says. His God tells him what you do in your bedchamber. And so it's the king of Syria is rip-roaring mad, and so he sends an army to kill Elisha. And when the army appears, of course, Alicia's servant goes out to fill the coal bucket in the morning. Now, that's not in the Bible. I added that little bit. Um, he goes out in the morning to fill the coal bucket and, um, and, and he sees this army, this Syrian army surrounded and he comes in and he says, Alicia, we're doomed. And Alicia says, take a chill pill. We're okay. We're all good. And he says, how can you say we're all good? There's an army coming against us. And it says, Elisha prayed, open his eyes. Open his spiritual eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's one of my favorite stories, many favorites, but this is one of my many favorites. All right, and so actually the scripture is full of these types of references, like the disciples in the boat when Jesus came that thought he was a ghost. When Mary met him in Gethsemane's garden, she, or she thought he was the gardener. When on and on we could go. The two in the road to mass talked to him for a couple of hours. Didn't actually know who he was until there was an enlightening moment—a moment that came that opened the eyes and the ears of their heart. And so it's full of it. I—I um, uh, I think it's a bit like this sometimes. If you, I've done a little experiment here. Um, so. In this jug, whenever you, whenever you go to the scripture, you'll find that the apostle Paul says that we see through a glass darkly. So you can see the light of my phone torch through the glass. We see not that clearly, but we can see through the thing. We can see through it. And where there's a, there's a little bit of stuff that we don't know, but we, it's like looking through this blurry water. We look through the Scriptures and we begin to get a bit of a picture. But what happens, the problem is that sin comes in and when you add a bit of lurk and sludge to it, um, don't ask me what was in that glass. All right. When you add a bit of lurk and sludge to it, you begin to realize that something happens in the realm of this and no longer do we actually see. We just get a glow of something. We don't actually see clearly at all. We don't even actually see anything because the, the mud blocks the vision. And so it is in the, in the kingdom world. What happens is the devil has a, a thing called sin. That infects our heart and renders us spiritually dull. It makes us spiritually deaf and it makes us spiritually blind. That's what sin does. And when the eyes of our heart need to see what they cannot see, so, so God blesses us with some eye opening, ear opening ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about um, today. Paul said this when he, when he comes to 2 Corinthians 3, he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And of course, this famous verse, many of you will know this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 talks about Satan, who is the God of this world that blinds the eyes of people who don't believe, lest just in case that, that veil would be torn from their eyes and the light of the glorious gospel would shine in and they would see the exact likeness of God. So if you're a Christian, you will have um, little, even if a little Bible knowledge, you will know that in the Bible, without a doubt, it claims that God is holy. And so I want to turn to one of the most explicit callings in Scripture. I have it on the screen because I'd love you to turn to it in Isaiah 6. Um, might be looking it up on your phone. Or if you've got your Bible with you, let me me read it. And if you've got your Bible, don't be afraid to mark it and write over it. It's important that you you do that. In the year that King Uzziah died, it says in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting high upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Um, and one called to the other, and they shouted, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard, listen, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to the people, Listen to this, keep on hearing. Keep on seeing. Keep on hearing and keep on seeing. Now, um, this uh, prophet Isaiah at the moment of his calling is, is receives this vision of these six-winged creatures and they're calling one to the other: holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Please don't miss the significant repetition of the of the word holy, holy, holy they're saying. They could have just said God is holy to each other, but they, they had to say it three times to capture the depth and the breadth and the might of God's holiness. If I were to say it to you, I was at the shopping center yesterday and I saw this guy, honestly, he was huge. He was big, he was big, huge, big. You would know that he just wasn't your average guy. You would know I was emphasizing the stump that this guy was a really big guy. You'd be forced to imagine that he was the biggest guy in the world, wouldn't you? In the same way, holy, holy, holy is meant to stretch your imagination. It's meant to stretch the boundaries of who you actually think God is. Whatever you think and whatever you hear about God being holy, you need to know that God is in in an entirely different category of holiness. He's much holier than ever you thought holiness could be. If you could let your imagination go to there. Like, here's one for your imagination. I do this with Daniel sometimes at bedtime. And Daniel says to me, Well, when did God, when was, when did God start? When did God begin? And I say, Now, he's like, now relax your mind, Daniel. Relax your mind. Think about it. Imagine someone who never had a beginning. And we sit like with our eyes closed and think, I, I can't really, I can't actually, my mind can't go back to think of somebody who never actually ever had a beginning, who always was, but even holy, holy, holy was not enough for the seraph as they tried to capture God's holiness. They had to add, the whole earth is filled with His glory. These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit to take your imagination To where it's never been before. They're meant to blow your mind with the thought that God is unlike anything that you've ever encountered before. They're meant to humble you into the realization that God is Fundamentally different than you and from I. They're intended to help you understand that you're dealing with someone greater than anyone and everyone you've ever dealt with before. Seeing his holiness will change the way you live forever. So let's ask a couple of questions. What is holiness? Well, Holiness comes from a Hebrew word. Um, the word is kadosh, or however you pronounce that, which means to cut. So to be holy means to cut off or to separate from everything else. It means to be in a class of your own, distinct from anything that's ever Um, existed, but it has a second meaning. It has this idea of being entirely morally pure all the time and in every way possible. So God occupies a moral space that no one has ever occupied before, and as such, we have no experience or, or frame of reference to understand what he is like, because there is no one like him. And the Scriptures are full of passages like this. So Moses could say in Exodus 15, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There is no one like you, majestic and holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonder. David could say, um, there is none holy like our Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah's prophecy is full of um, who is like unto you, who can compare to God. So God's holiness is not a, an aspect or a, an attribute of who he is. It actually, it, it is the essence of who he is. It's not just about what he does. It's a bit like when the Bible says God is love. It's not saying God does love. It's a a characteristic of who God is. Holiness is the same. He is the same as love. God is holiness. If I were to ask you how the holiness of God was revealed, the answer would come in everything he does. God is holy in every attribute, in every action. He's holy in His faithfulness. He's holy in His compassion. He is holy in His wisdom. He's holy in His power. He's holy in His sovereignty, in His mercy, in His patience, even in His anger, in His grace, in His justice. He's holy in love. He's even holy in His holiness. That's who God is. So why does holiness matter? Well, holiness matters. The doctrine of holiness matters in my life because it's a very centerpiece of the gospel. All right, if if God isn't holy, without the holiness of God, we would be lost. There would be no right and wrong. Without the holiness of God, we would be in hell forever. Without the holiness of God, the the, the heavens would just be for celestial beings and, and, and not for us at all. Without the holiness of God, Satan would be the winner in the battle for planet Earth. On and on I could go. The God story would not be the God story um, if it were not written and controlled at every point by the one who is holy in all things. Now, I think I've convinced you that God's holy, all right? I want to take the last 10 minutes or so, eight or 10 minutes, and give you four practical points, four things of why this matters to you, all right? Why does this matter to you? Well, number one, it affects us in four different ways. Number one, um, holiness requires change. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord Isaiah saying, high and exalted, seated on the throne, his train filled the temple. It, it is evident that something needed to die for Isaiah to really see God in a new way. Um, Uzziah had been the king for 52 years. He was a great king um, up until the latter period of his life. And in the latter period of life, he got a bit proud and he decided to go in and do the job of the priest in the temple and God struck him with leprosy. And he died a leper because pride got into his heart. He was probably the cousin of Isaiah, and they were very, very close. As a matter of fact, it would seem that he was a crutch for Isaiah to lean on. And there come a moment in Isaiah's life that God needed to strip away the crutch. That ever happened? Ever happened in your life where you felt God had to strip something away? to bring you to the point where you actually had to depend on him like nothing you had ever done before because the crutch that you relied on all of a sudden was taken away. That's exactly what happened, Isaiah. Because holiness, you see, requires change. Holiness requires us to make God our total dependability. So um, our question that we could ask is, what needs to die? What needs to die to clean up the jug? <laughs> what needs to die that maybe brings us back to a place of absolute dependence on God. Second thing is holiness brings direction. Holiness brings direction. Then I heard a voice saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I sent me. In a world that seems so out of control at the minute, like we've watched the American politics, we're watching the the, the governments of the world deal with a virus, it's a pandemic that's affecting the whole world. And in a world that seems out of control and seems so evil, where wrong seems to be rewarded and, and right often seems to be punished, it's vital to remember the holiness of God. With his power, he will defeat every evil thing. There will come a day when everything will be put under his foot. Everything, everything. So there's something about this idea that the holiness of God brings directions into our lives, and, and we need to know this, that we, will, we are going to be delivered from this evil world, and heaven will be our home forever. It brings direction, and we need to get our imagination and realign our focus on that. The third thing it does, it reveals our Our nature. The prophet said, woe is me, I'm lost. So when he gets into the holiness of God, you see, here's the thing. The more I study the Bible, I've been studying this Bible for over half a century now, and the more I know God, actually the, the, the less I feel I know about him. The more I know him, and the more holy I actually find him to be, the more actually I see and think, why did he ever choose me? And yet, Ephesians in one four tells me that he chose me and you before. Actually, he 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 formed the foundations of the world. So Isaiah is struck by his brokenness because he recognises how morally separated he is from the Lord. And it's only the face of the holiness of God uh, that you and I, like Isaiah, we. It's only in that face that we will see our brokenness and and know the disaster that sin brings into our lives, that the, how it mars our life and mars our vision of who He is. You see, he, we have a problem because sin doesn't always appear sinful to us. Often it appears attractive and, and nice and magnetic, and, and it's only in the face of God's holiness that we fully realize that sin is more than just a list of bad behaviors and maybe more than breaking a set of fuzzy rules. Rather, sin is a disease of the heart that causes us to willingly and repeatedly rebel against the authority of God and do what we were never intended to do and go where we never were intended to go. It's the holiness of God that tells us that since we cannot escape ourselves, we all desperately need a Savior who can do what we can't rescue us from this world and from sin. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you should should bow your knee or bow your head and invite him into your life and just repent of your sin. You simply cannot consider the holiness of God without also mourning your sin and crying out to Jesus, call to repentance, because you can't find Jesus without repentance. And that's what Isaiah finds here. And then fourthly, um, holiness defines your calling. Because holiness is the... Essence of God's character, and it becomes our calling as His children by inheritance. I love this verse in 1 Peter 2 verses 14 to 16, 3 verses. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you're God's child, there's a call to holiness. And um, But there's a second aspect to it as well, because if you're holy, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and if you're bought with the blood of Jesus, then you actually don't belong to yourself. You say, Phil, where do you get that from? Well, it's here in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, "'Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price.'" And it was the price of the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God, what? With your bodies. To say you're holy means that you've been set apart by God's grace and for God's purposes. And your allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of your success and your happiness, but to the progress of the kingdom of his glory and his grace. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, every action must be done in the spirit of humble surrender to the commands of Scripture. And as you consider the impossibility of this call, you remember that when God calls us, he equips us. You can't do it in your own. So he equips us with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside us, that would be our wisdom and our strength that we needed to surrender to the holy call of God in our lives. Just as we bring it to a close, one of my favorite writers, um, script writers, has to be Aaron Sorkin. Um, he is an American screenplay writer, and um, he wrote movies like An American President. It's one of my romantic favorites. Um, if you want to watch it, it's a great movie. I love it. An American President. I've watched it three or four times. Um, he wrote A Few Good Men, but probably his well known greatest piece is West Wing, The West Wing. And, um, if you haven't watched the box set West Wing, you should watch it. It's definitely intriguing. It's a box set covering the life in the white house with Josiah Bartlett or Jed Bartlett, as he's called, who is a president played by Martin Sheen. And the third season covers the administration, um, the third and fourth year of his first administration. It's interesting talking about American politics, (laughs) isn't it? Um, um, I better say no more. Um, and, um, and at the end of season three, he is announcing, Bartlett is announcing his intention to run again. And uh, But the, the final episode, as box sets seem to do, the final episode leaves you in a cliffhanger. Will Bartlett run again? Will he get through? And, and it, it sort of it finishes there. And so when, the, when I was watching this, I was watching this now, when it was being just played. So I was waiting in the fourth season. And I wonder, did Bartlett get... wonder, did he make it? Did he get through? Is he the new president? What will happen? So we'll come to the fourth season, and I was excited about the fourth season, and I put the first episode on in the fourth season, and this is the first line came up. Six months later. Six months later, Sorkin. Oh, man, he's pretty, pretty, pretty slick. And we find in the first... Episode of 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 season four that Bartlett is back in. He's president again. He's into a second term, but we're trying to figure out how did it work, how did it happen, how did he get there? Like, like it, it's, it's easy enough telling us telling us that he's there, but how did he get there? You see, all of us have read the end of the book. We all know that God wins. We all know that 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 in the end, we're going to be forever with the Lord if we know him as our Lord and Savior. We know that at the end of the book. But here's the thing. All of us are somewhere in the middle of the book. All of us are somewhere in the middle of the God story, working out how this looks, how this works out. And so that's why Paul says you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he say? Daily. Daily, every day. So when you go to work tomorrow, it's not saying, oh, I know, it's all right. I'm all cool. I'm cool. I'm saved. And I've read the end of the book and I'm going to be forever with God in heaven. No, here's the thing. Tomorrow in work, you'll you'll face all kinds of trials and tribulations. Somebody will come at you. Some, you'll face something. There'll be a situation in a marriage. There'll be a financial situation. Because you see, we're in the middle of this. And that's why it's so important to understand the holiness of God. Because the holiness of God allows us to live in the middle of the book. Allows us to pull ourselves into the God story. Opens our ears to hear the voice of God. Opens our eyes to see what He's actually really doing in this present term. Our time's gone. Close your eyes. I hope that in some shape or form maybe this morning if you listen to this again that the veneer (laughs) because <laughs> we've all got them, haven't we? We've all got those little veneers. I had an old friend who said to me, everybody's hypocritical about something. <laughs> all of us are a hypocrite about something, self-included. And, and, and there's those little veneers. And maybe the story is allowing us just to strip those veneers and expose what's underneath that the eyes and ears of our heart would open and somehow, someway, you would get a glimpse into the mind-blowing greatness of God's holiness. So, Father, I pray that you would seal this word to each of our hearts right now, God, that you would lead and guide as people try to grasp your holiness and understand that we are called to be holy, for you are holy in Jesus' name. Thanks, Warwick. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.